Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. I got to I, my friends, we, I should say, we, we must tread some dangerous ground here out of the gate today. And I listen, don't, don't call and yell at my call screener. You can send me hate mail if you must, but we must go back in time to the 2020 election. We must revisit the 2020 election. And I, I, I want to state out of the gate some parameters so that you can explain where I'm headed with this. And I, I challenge you, if, if you get spitting nails mad at me for what I'm about to say, that you just bear with me and follow along. Because you, you may actually realize that we agree on some important things here, and they're deeply, deeply necessary for you to understand. But I, I as you all know, I was an elections lawyer. Uh, every election that I've ever encountered has had problems. There are no perfect elections because they're run by people and people are stupid. Uh, in a lot of elections, there are nefarious hanky-panky. Never amounts to much, but it's not like it doesn't happen. But I do not think, and I know some of you do, I do not think that the 2020 election was stolen per se. I certainly don't think the Dominion voter system machines were in some way rigging the vote for Joe Biden. And I keep hearing theories of massive numbers of dead people who voted and, and uh, ballots that were, were registered and shouldn't have been registered. And, and, and I, I don't actually see any real evidence. I see a lot of people saying that stuff. I don't see the evidence. And people keep telling me, well, go look here, look here. And I look there and there's nothing there. Um, regardless of whether you think the election was stolen or not. And I don't. I do think something happened. And my frustration, my large frustration all along has been that so many people have been looking in the non-existent places, they haven't looked in the real places. So many people have wanted to focus on uh, allegedly pristine ballots that were cast that no one can find or voting machines that threw the election for Joe Biden. There was a situation down in South Georgia where I think it was Ware County, where someone alleged that uh, the machines had actually thrown the vote. And I called the Board of Elections. They said that wasn't what happened at all, that uh, actually the machines got it right and the hand count was wrong. They had to go back and redo the hand count. There's lots of, some, someone knows someone who saw something inappropriate and, and the like. And everybody gets distracted by all of these things with the voter machines or or supposed suitcases full of ballots and the like. And they've missed what actually happened. And we have to talk about what actually happened because I'm afraid it's going to happen again because of an unrelated story that is highly related. Here's what actually happened. It wasn't voting machines throwing the election. It wasn't Hugo Chavez's ghost with the Iranians. It wasn't the Italians. It wasn't the Defense Department black ops, and it wasn't the deep state. It was the lawyers. It was the lawyers. See, what happened was that the election was not stolen 
the Democrats were able to get the rules changed before the election. That's what actually happened. And no one's ever really wanted to pay attention to this because you had the hucksters and the fraudsters and the Sidney Powell idiots out there with their Kraken distracting everybody, claiming there was real evidence for, for things that there was no real evidence for, and everybody has ignored what really happened. And what really happened should bother you, but it was not illegal and it was not theft. It was better lawyering. The Republicans used to have the best election lawyers in the country. But uh, those Republican lawyers who were really good, they didn't like Trump and Trump didn't like them. So he sidelined some of them and the others said they didn't want to help him. But the Democrats had a really cracked team of lawyers. And essentially, you know, um, you don't go to a podiatrist when you've got cardiology problems. You don't go to a neurologist when you've got the problems you need to go to a proctologist for. And you don't go to an ENT when you've got ED. You go to the appropriate doctor. With the law, it's the same way. You don't go to a DUI lawyer to fight an election case. And that's essentially what the Trump team did. The Trump team went with a bunch of plaintiffs and DUI lawyers who aren't actually election lawyers. And didn't go with election lawyers. Now, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll be brief with this. There are nuances to election law, and I used to be one. I really did. So, for example, all of the people who come to me and say, well, there are only like uh, 11,400 votes between Trump and Biden. You throw out 11,400 ballots. Means Trump won. No, no, no. That's That's never been the case. You actually have to throw out, uh, what is it? Uh, 46,500 ballots because there were 35,000 people in Georgia who voted in the election who did not vote in the presidential election. And this happens every year. Usually the number's a lot higher. Usually there are a lot of people. So, for example, in 2016 in Georgia, almost 100,000 people refused to vote in the presidential race between Clinton and Trump. Between uh, Trump and Biden, it was only about 35,000. So when people say, well, you just got to throw out those 11,000 whatever votes there were. No, actually, you got to deal with all the you got to deal with the 35,000 as well, because under election law, you can't presume someone voted for a candidate. And so to be able to challenge the election, you got to throw out not just the base level gap between the two candidates, but also the gap of people who didn't even participate in that election, which was 35,000. Got to throw out that many ballots, and that's just Georgia. And then you have to go state by state by state by state and see the DUI lawyers and the plaintiffs' lawyers who decided to represent Trump had, had no knowledge of that. Most of you, I bet, didn't realize that. That's actually the law of all 50 states. There's a mathematical formula you have to use in order to throw out an election based on um, a, a discrepancies enough to change the outcome of the election. And it's that mathematical formula is you take the difference between the votes in the race in particular and add it to the number of people who chose not to participate in that race altogether. So it's about 45,000 votes you got to throw out, not 11,000. And people don't realize that. The problem is the Democrats went to court with really good election lawyers and the Trump team's really good election lawyers didn't want to work for Trump or Trump didn't want them to work for him. So he went with the, the Sidney Powell's of the world who may be a good lawyer, but she's not an elections lawyer.
You can be a really good plaintiff's lawyer. You can be a damn good DUI lawyer. Doesn't make you a good election lawyer. Election law is very nuanced. So here's what happened. The president's team had to go to court on defense because Donald Trump's Department of Homeland Security during COVID issued regulations about dealing with COVID and how to conduct a free and fair election in the age of a global pandemic. And they authorized or recommended states do things like ballot drop boxes. You might've heard of them or uh, absentee ballot programs or, or showing a little more leeway with absentee ballots. Those were the things the Trump white house recommended through the department of Homeland security. How to deal with a global pandemic. We hadn't had an election during a global pandemic since, what, 1916. Nobody now was alive back then who has any memory of doing an election. So they came out with all these rules. So what did the Democrats do? Well, the Democrats went to court. They went to court in Georgia. They went to court in Nevada. They went to court in Arizona. They went to court in Pennsylvania. They went to court in Wisconsin. They went to court all over the country, and they got federal judges, not state judges. They got federal judges to alter the rules of the state's elections to make it easier to vote. One of the things they did, and it appears they may have done it in Georgia, is they went around and they collected ballots. Ballot harvesting is technically illegal. Here's the problem that people don't understand is the ballot is still lawfully cast. So in Georgia right now, there is credible evidence. The secretary of state is investigating whether or not Democrats did ballot harvesting. That is, they went to people who had absentee ballots and said, hey, we know you're going to vote. Give us your ballot. If the ballots can't be um, intercepted, before they make it into the pool of votes, the ballots themselves get counted and the ballot harvesters go to jail. The vote is not thrown out. The ballot harvesters are thrown in jail because the vote is paramount. The vote is sacrosanct. So you find all the ballot harvesters and they admit they harvested all the ballots. You can't throw out the election. And even if you could throw out the election, you can't get rid of Joe Biden. Once he's inaugurated, you can't remove him from office except by impeachment. Trump's not coming back, except through another election in 2024. People don't understand these nuances of election law. The Democratic lawyers understood these things. So the Democratic lawyers went in advance, got the rules changed based on the White House Homeland Security document for how to conduct elections. They were able to get drop boxes. They were able to get permissive um, um, absentee ballots. They were able to do ballot harvesting. They were able to do a lot of things that judges allowed them to do. And in some cases, it was Trump-appointed judges. And the reason in almost every single case is because the Republicans hired the worst possible lawyers to go to court and argue the case. There actually was a plaintiff's lawyer like ambulance chasing plaintiff's lawyer. Uh, it was one of uh, Trump's lawyers to argue about this stuff. Another really was a DUI lawyer. While the Democrats went in with election experts and election lawyers and were able to convince the judges because these other Republican lawyers, they didn't know election law. Election law takes time to learn. You, you can learn the basics, but the basics don't get you very far. You wind up reading the statutes and you ignore the underlying case law of how the case law interprets the statutes. So the Democrats gamed the system 
in March, April, May, June, and July of 2020. So by the time November rolled around, they were able to write the rules. John Dingle was the, the dean of the House for a very long time. Uh, he was a elderly senior Democrat from Michigan, and he had a great saying. If you write the law and I write the rules, I'm going to win every time. And his point was, if you allow John Dingell to control how a piece of law goes through the House of Representatives, John Dingell is going to win because he's going to write the rules. And the Democrats won in 2020 in large part because they wrote the rules. Yes, there was dissatisfaction, broad dissatisfaction with Donald Trump. He still probably could have won in a number of these states, except the Democrats got judges to allow them to accept the uh, Trump Department of Def uh, Homeland Security recommendations, and they changed the existing laws on the ground. Now, this is a really important component of that. The Republicans never matched the ground game. Once the Democrats got the rules changed, the Republicans huffed and puffed about their loss and didn't get off their butts and change things. So the Democrats were out, able to outmaneuver them the whole time, and Joe Biden won. You have to, you can disagree with me, but I'm right. You can claim other issues. You can claim, you can claim the machines. You can claim all sorts of stuff. We can agree to disagree on that, but you got to focus on what I'm telling you. And the reason is because there's another COVID wave coming. It's a successor variant to Omicron. It's hitting Europe and it's hitting Asia right now. Half the flights today at Heathrow Airport have been canceled because they don't have enough pilots and crew because of the current wave of COVID blowing through. It's going to hit the United States. It may already be here. We're in primary season. And I'm telling you, the Democrats are going to run this playbook all over again. The Democrats are going to go get expedited, rewritten, revised rules for the 2022 election season based on what happened in 2020 in the name of trying to carry out an election during a global pandemic. And I think the Republicans are so distracted by Dominion voter system machines, they're not prepared to actually mount a challenge to the Democrats when they come calling with the rules. We will be caught flat-footed again, all because we decided to focus on the improbable and the crazy and not the things the Democrats were actually doing. At least our saving grace may be the wave is so big in November, but also the election lawyers who sat on the sidelines in 2020 are back in action this time, and they happen to be very good. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Uh, importantly, very importantly, perhaps most importantly, Tiger Woods, he's going to play in the Masters. It's breaking news in the last 30 minutes. I'm going to the Masters. Yes, I, I like saying that because I've tried for 20 some odd years to go and I've never had the opportunity to go and I'm going this year. It's going to be cold. It's going to be like 56 degrees. My buddy Justin that I'm going with texted me and said on Saturday, the high is supposed to be 56 degrees over there. Good gracious. Winter just won't go away. It's all the global warming. But nonetheless, Tiger Woods says walking's the problem, not swinging, not swinging is... is Irons. Um, I still have. Now, listen, I need to say something re re lovingly to y'all. I've had a bunch of people. 
I mean, I realize I got listeners, but I didn't realize how many of you play golf. And everybody's emailing with tips or, or we can take lessons together or I'm a coach. I want to thank each and every one of you. Uh, I've I've found a guy, and he's he's local, and I'm going to work with him. There are a couple of you I may reach out to, but by and large, like, so I go to a CrossFit gym. This is really pretentious sounding, I know, but I'll explain it to you. I go to a CrossFit gym. I really like the CrossFit exercises, uh, and I pay extra to go when the gym is closed and work out with the trainer. And I used to go to the class. Uh, one, uh, nobody wants to work out with me because it's like working out with a beached whale. Uh, but two... I couldn't stop talking. Poly- I mean, everybody wants to ask about what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Every headline of the day. And I was so busy trying to 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 talk and also breathe while also doing all this, the crazy exercises. It just I, I finally had to, like, say, can I just come to you privately? I'll pay you extra because uh, I love the people at the gym, but the people at the gym really love me. And I really want to go get good at golf. And so I'm going to go try. Nonetheless, um, I dig- I am going to go to the Masters. I will watch it. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be on the show, 877-973-7425. Joining me by telephone is the Attorney General for the state of Georgia, Chris Carr, who has filed lawsuit against the Biden administration over the mask mandate on public transportation. Attorney General Carr, how are you? Eric, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Now, I was actually reading a Washington Post story uh, this morning. I actually forgot you were coming on and it was reading the story. It's perfectly relevant that uh, airline manufacturers, not the airlines themselves, but the manufacturers say that uh, the air quality in airplanes is better than surgical center quality. And that the, in multiple studies over the last few years, uh, it's been shown that even people with highly contagious airborne illness um, have very difficult time spreading those on planes. So I'm not sure why we're still in masks on planes. Well, and that's a great point, Eric. That filtration system that they have on these airplanes absolutely is top-notch, and we've known that for a while, which kind of goes to the argument of, of the lawsuits that we filed, one of which are that the CDC just simply continues to exceed its, its authority to do things on an economy-wide basis. And look, we saw it when the Supreme Court struck down their eviction moratorium, so they couldn't do it, didn't have the authority to do it. It's very similar here. But then you've got this practical implication. I mean, you, you do have a filtration system. You've heard the CEOs of the airlines now talking about it's time to move on. And basically, you know, whether you're a business traveler or you're now on spring break, folks are just saying enough is enough. But it's kind of clear that to the left, this is just virtue signaling. And it has to do, again, the science has changed. CDC hadn't updated its mandate since 2021. So they're still back, you know, a year ago. and, 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 And we've moved on. But it's a great point. You look at the technology on these planes. The filtration system is 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 uh, first of its kind. Well, now let's let's talk about the the legal issue here. Now, what is the the legal argument for the states to challenge the CDC and the TSA uh, for federal aviation? Well, because a couple of different things that we made the argument, Eric. One is again that the CDC simply exceeds its authority. You know, and one of the things I think is. We, we, I'll say that first is it, it exceeded its authority. And then secondly, that if the CDC is going to issue these mandates and these regulations, that you got to have a notice and a comment period. You got to allow the public to come in and comment on it. They haven't done that. So again, the first is 
very much like with the eviction uh, moratorium. Supreme Court said that the CDC uh, uh, overextended itself. We say the same thing here. Second thing is the notice, uh, uh, you know, in, in the comment period. So, so that's the first thing. And it, again, it, it just con- this continues to happen over and over again. The administration kind of pushing the limit. And you know this that when Congress refuses to do its job, nature abhors a vacuum. That vacuum ends up getting filled by the federal executive, and that's where you get these, uh, you know, you get these these regulations and these uh, that are are passed by the CDC, whatnot. You got to have somebody that's willing to push back. We have a federal system, so we, as state attorneys general, are in the best position to be able to push back. This is an issue of of overextending itself in addition because presuming. The federal government has its role. It would be interstate commerce, regulating interstate commerce, mandating that the Atlanta airport, you got to wear a mask in the Atlanta airport. Doesn't it's it's just you know it, there's a stretch there as to whether or not you could do that with interstate commerce, intrastate versus interstate. A bus station in Macon, again, you'd have to you're, you're kind of extending yourself there to say that it's interstate right. commerce there as well. So we're just saying again, it's it's a matter of of overextending again the federal government you got to have somebody willing to push back and the states are doing that in this particular case well now i remember during the trump administration there were a couple of instances i think one was the uh the so-called muslim ban another was the census case where they went to the supreme court and john roberts the chief justice essentially said you can do what you want to do but you got to follow certain procedures and if you don't follow the procedures we can't let you do them and it seems like uh, going to the CDC, and I don't know whether those cases would be applicable or not, uh, but with the CDC, it does seem like there has kind of been this fly by the seat of their pants, as you say, no public comment section. Uh, but also there's a level of stagnation where they haven't kept up with the available data. That's right. So, again, I think you start, Eric, with the Constitution, you start with federal statute, and then you go into these procedural issues here as well. And again, the administration has simply bypassed all of it. Uh, again, we make the argument that 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 the CDC was never authorized to do something along the lines of not only instituting this particular mandate, which is now far exceeded this, the science as we just talked about, uh, you know. But then they also would have to enforce it, and the CDC doesn't have that police power either. So they're basically tasking these private entities uh, with enforcing the, the law as well. So, again, you start going, you start with the Constitution, you go to the federal statute, and then you move down to the procedural argument as well. And the administration continues to miss on all three of those areas. Now, let me ask you uh, another issue. I know you've taken this up in the past, um, and I'm throwing a wild card here at you, but the Biden administration looks like they're about to scrap Title 42. We've had this mm-hmm. major wave of people coming across the border already. Even some Democrats, Raphael Warnock, senator from Georgia, I know is one of the ones complaining about it. Uh, it. It doesn't. It seems like the Biden administration's actions are actually costing local and state law enforcement around the country money as they allow people to come into the border, release them because they're over capacity in the detention facilities, and they wind up in your state, Georgia, or, or uh, other states around the country. Uh, what are the attorneys general around the country uh, talking about here, is, is what they may do with the Biden administration? 
Well, and I'm going to say stay tuned on that a little bit. You've got a couple of my colleagues, two or three, that had filed suit, I believe, last week. And, and I'll just say stay tuned as far as, as what we end up doing because this is a big issue. Eric, one of the things I focused on is gang activity and on opioids. And when you see violent criminals being released in the United States, look, it, it is the paramount role of the federal government to protect the nation, national defense. The issue of immigration is one that constitutionally rests with the Congress and with, and with the federal government. That's it. That's the first role. You've got to protect the border. You've got to protect the ports of entry. You've got to make sure that we as American citizens are protected. What they are doing, again, unilaterally to allow violent criminals into to our states and into our cities is wrong. And so, again, if Congress isn't going to do its play its part, where are you going to get the pushback? You're going to get it back pushback from the, the uh, state attorneys general that are the chief legal officers of their states, as well as from the governors. So stay tuned, because we know if you're talking about human trafficking, another big issue that we focused on uh, fentanyl coming across the border, we know again this is a source of, of, of entry, uh, and there's kind of the saying, everybody kind of becomes a border state as a result, and I think that's true. So you're going to start seeing, you're, you're hearing and you're seeing Republican attorneys general push back. You're even going to see more here in the short term as well. So, again, just stay tuned. Now, for those of you just tuning in, I'm talking to Chris Carr, the attorney general for the state of Georgia has filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration now uh, over the mask mandate on public transportation. But I, I want to, I've got a national audience here, I realize, but I want to, because it's somewhat selfishly talk about my state, Georgia, where you are as well, uh, and the gang issue. When I was running for city council, we had just come through a local administration down in Macon that solved the gang crisis. Uh, there was no gang violence and no gang activity. They eliminated gangs from the city. And they did one very simple thing to get rid of it. They eliminated the gang task force that documented gang activity and thereafter said, well, clearly, I mean, there's no documented gang activity. The task force no longer even exists, even though there was gang graffiti everywhere. At the time, there were no statewide resources or really even state legislation to allow the uh, the, the state of Georgia to come down to the city of Macon and protect the people or even really to prosecute gangs. And I know this is something you've worked on for a very long time. And in fact, as you mentioned, you've gotten more updated legislation to come out of the state legislature in Georgia uh, dealing with gang activity. Well, we did, Eric, and we're very proud. The pri our, our primary legislative initiative this session was to get a gang prosecutions unit that can work hand-in-hand -hand with federal, state, and local law enforcement. And again, why is that important? Just what you said. You look, gangs are operating, whether they're neighborhood gangs or they're national in nature, but we just talked about it. You're talking about cartels that are bringing drugs across the border. You're talking about human trafficking. And when you've got limited resources to be able to leverage that from a federal, state, and local law enforcement perspective is critically important. I can only speak to Georgia, but, you know, the Georgia gang investigators did a survey, Eric, in 2018, asked all 159 Georgia counties, do you have evidence of gang activity? 157 out of Georgia's 159 counties said yes. And that just tells me one thing. Two counties lied. And to your point about dismantling the gang unit and, and saying that there is no gang activity, there is a DA in, in, in the state of Georgia that I'm told has told its law enforcement partners, don't bring me gang cases, even though Georgia's got one of the strongest gang anti-gang statutes in the nation. Said so I'll prosecute homicides and I'll prosecute burglaries, but there's no gangs. I'm, don't bring me a gang case. That is dangerous. 
because we know gangs operate all across the country. This right. is not a Georgia issue, but folks want to know that the cavalry's coming and you've got a plan and you're willing to do it. And we are in the state of Georgia. And I commend the governor and the legislature for giving us the resources and uh, putting attention on this issue. So now you're up for reelection in Georgia uh, this year, and uh, you've got a, a Democratic opponent uh, who will be oh, I, well? It's going to be one of a couple of Democrats out there, but the, the, I, I'm I'm struggling to understand uh, where they're coming from in, in the Democratic campaign side of I, I guess the, one of the arguments is that you're prosecuting the the wrong things. You're you're not you're you're too tough on crime. Um, they haven't seemed to quite get their message yet. There's a muddy message out for you, though. You're up for re-election. I mean, moving forward, let's say you get another four years. What are your big priorities? Well, the two things I've tried to focus on are protecting lives and protecting livelihoods. I think when you look at it, it is, the again, I talked about the paramount duty of the federal government, but Georgia's Constitution even says it's a paramount duty of, of government to protect person and property. So when you're looking at it, we're just standing up this gang unit. I'm looking forward to getting this going, working with federal, state, and local law enforcement. We're expanding our human trafficking unit. Last year, we rescued and assisted 107 victims. Eric, that's 107 lives that are forever changed. I want to focus on uh, elder abuse and, and, again, keeping people safe, the most vulnerable in our nation. But I'm also the former commissioner of economic development, and, and our state has been the top state for business. Because we don't see business as the enemy. It's our job at the Attorney General's office to uphold the laws. But to have an appropriate legal and regulatory environment where folks want to come in and do business, I believe in the power of the free enterprise system. I think it transforms families and communities, and we're going to continue to do that. But you are seeing a big difference, Eric, between the philosophy of, of uh, the, the right and on the left. And you see folks on the left now, the new criminal justice reform, is don't enforce the laws that you don't agree with. Well, that's dangerous. Right. That is a dereliction of duty, undermines the role. No, no one executive branch uh, elected official should do that. You don't like the law, you go to the legislature. And on the other hand, you're seeing the weaponization of state AGs going after business that are doing things legally, but maybe not something that the left prefers. So what do they do? They sue, they call a press conference, and then they try to settle. That's not how we do it in Georgia, and that's not how we're going to do it as long as I'm the attorney general. Look, I, I, I'm I'm hard-pressed on time, but I, I want to go back to something because you've mentioned human trafficking a couple times, and I encounter people all the time who think it's overstated. It's it's not really a thing. Can you just, as AG, can you talk about what your office encounters in, in terms of the reality of human trafficking, what it is, who gets trafficked, how it happens? Absolutely. The average age of a human trafficking victim is a 12 to 14 year old girl. It's not just girls, but that's the average, uh, the average age. So we're talking a sixth to an eighth grader. And what happens, there could be underlying issues. It could be runaways. It could be somebody that that's, has an addiction issue. Poverty could be the issue. But Eric, once a child leaves their home within 24 to 48 hours, they can often be picked up by somebody who is literally selling them for sex. And so we go after here in the state of Georgia, both the sellers and the buyers. We think that that's critically important as well. And it's happening all the time. People want to people ask if Atlanta's the top city. It's hard to get the data. I know we're focused on fighting it. But you know what? I say again, 107 victims that we rescued last year, and I wish it were more, but think about the impact on those 107 lives. And this is oftentimes done online. I mean, 
somebody will go on and say, today we're in Macon and tomorrow we're going to be in Valdosta and the next day we're going to be in Augusta. This is why it's important for the state to invest because you have statewide reach. And again, it's not just our state, it's other states as well. But you're talking about some of the most vulnerable, a sixth to an eighth grade girl. That's who is the, again, the average victim. We owe it, not just legally we have a duty, but I think morally we do as well to protect the most vulnerable in our society. Gosh, well, look, I appreciate it. And thank you for stopping by. Good luck on the lawsuit against the Biden administration. It's always good to hear from you. Eric, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, and have fun at the Masters, Eric. I look, I'm going to. Never been. I'm going to get a pimento cheese sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Take care. Attorney General Chris Carr uh, filed a lawsuit uh, leading a group of other states in this lawsuit, actually, about the mask mandate. Uh, on public transportation, particularly in aviation and airports and airplanes as well. The Biden administration had considered dropping it on airplanes, but enforcing it in airports. And Chris Carr rallied state attorneys general filing a lawsuit against the whole thing. Uh, Patriot Mobile, folks, uh, I keep getting asked questions by people about their service. Uh, it, let me explain this in a more technical way for you because I'm, I'm a big believer in this company for a lot of reasons. So it's called an MVNO, which is a mobile virtual network operator. They don't have to put their own cell towers out. Congress allows them to use the cell phone towers that are already out there, whether they're AT&T or, or Verizon, you name it. Uh, so their service is the same as those companies. And they want to work with you because they're Christian and conservative. So they've incorporated themselves as a business and they've said, look, we're, we want to provide cell phone service, data, voice, you name it to people who consider themselves Christian conservatives. And we're going to take a portion of our profits and we're going to fund it into the conservative movement. So if you take your business to Patriot mobile, you're working with a company that shares your values. That is not woke. And their entire business is designed around helping conservatives. So you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You get free activation by using my name. They've also got 100% U.S.-based customer service. They're an American company. They want to be an American company. They hire Americans. You go to uh, 972-PATRIOT is their phone number. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. They have a lot of different discounts to bring you in, whether you're a veteran, a first responder, a teacher, a gun owner, an RA member, talk to them about their discounts. They can give you a good deal. You don't have to worry about the service because they have the same towers everybody else has. And you're working with a company that shares your values and puts its money where its mouth is. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K or 972-PATRIOT. Hello there. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you would like to be on this here program. So I had my physical this morning and they asked me, how many drinks a day do I have? I said, well, I mean, there are a lot of days where I don't have any. I may have one or two on a day, but then go several days. She says, sir, do you have six drinks, of alcoholic drinks a day? I said, good Lord, no, I would be dead. She says, no, you wouldn't. You'd be an alcoholic. So I guess they said I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> they also actually asked me about tobacco use. They said, well, I have like a, cig a cigar on a Sunday night. And they said, do you use cigarettes? I said, no. Do they use spitting tobacco? I said, no. He said, do you use a pipe? I said, no. He said, all you do is a cigar on occasion. I said, yes. He said, we don't consider cigar users tobacco users unless you inhale the smoke of your lungs. I said, well, don't do that. I'd throw up. So 
I'm not a tobacco user. He's, <laughs> it was an interesting physical. And then they started stabbing me with needles and taking all my blood. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.